0: This is episode number 43, The Decision to Call Them Mom and Dad, with Whitney Gilliard. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle as you reach toward achieving your full potential. Before I introduce today's guest, I'd like to make a brief announcement and invite all of our listeners to some of our upcoming events tailored specifically for you to help you unleash your unique abilities to surpass your own limitations and create the quality of life you desire. Our first of 11 events for the year of 2019 will be in Los Angeles, Survive to Thrive. It will feature eight speakers whose stories have been heard nationwide. Each one will be sharing his or her unique ways of how they have used some of their previously developed survival skills to thrive in today's society. In addition to hearing these life-changing stories, the event will also include sessions for you to interact with other attendees and experience your own personal breakthroughs. For more information, please check out our upcoming events on overcomingodds.today. Now, let's get back to our guests. A decision had to be made. She said, after being a foster for a little while with you just start wondering i want a family i want to feel like i belong you're pushed to these strangers home and it didn't feel right to not know what to call them i didn't want to call them uncle or auntie they didn't feel like an uncle or auntie i knew that these people could potentially be really good for me in my life. That's when I thought, maybe I should ask if I can call them mom and dad. Do you remember the first time you called your parental figures mom and dad? How did you feel after saying those words? Feel free to share your thoughts by tagging us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Overcoming Odds. Without further ado, please welcome Whitney Julliard. Whitney, thank you so much for joining us on this show. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to start this episode off a little different than the past. And that is I wanted to first get a better understanding of who you are and how you got here. And before we dive into today's episode and theme which is the decision to call them mom and dad, I wanted to start off with a question, and that was, do you remember your first foster home experience? And if so, what was it like?
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me on the show. I, I definitely feel like this was an important topic to discuss. I, I do remember my first time being in a foster home because I actually haven't been in a lot of foster homes. I've been in a more congregate care setting and residential placements. So I do. And it was, um, it wasn't a bad one. It wasn't a bad one, but it it was very confusing for me. And it was very, it was something very different to get used to um, being a part of somebody else's life and adapting to their household rules and traditions and um, meeting new family in a different environment. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. What? When did it finally make sense to call your fair foster parents mom and dad? And why did it make sense to do that?
1: I think like after you've been moved around so many times and growing up in an unstable household, you you know you you I grew up without a mom. I grew up without a mom, and after being in foster care for a little while, you just start wondering like I, I want a family. Um, I want to feel like I belong and you know you're pushed to these strangers home and it didn't feel right to not know what to call them I didn't want to call them uncle or auntie Mm -hmm. they didn't feel like an uncle or auntie but um, I I knew that I was like you know these people could be potentially really good for me in my life Um, and that's when I was like maybe I should ask if I can call them mom and dad
0: Mm. do you think you were in the way that you might have been Either um, disloyal, if that's the right word, as far as taking the title away from your actual parents by calling them, and when you had finally called them that, like, what did that really make sense in your in your mind as far as what a mom and a dad represent?
1: I definitely felt that way, Um, and I think that that's something that a lot of people need to cover more. Is you know just the struggle that foster you kids deal with when we land in a home that we truly love and that we feel safe in um, plus working it out with our biological family. I grew up with a single father and I definitely and he, he was very important to me and I definitely feel like I was betraying him when I called my dad dad mm-hmm. um, but at, but at the same time I I knew I knew that one it was to me, cultural-wise, it, it was probably a little disrespectful to live in a person's place and not call them by something of a respectable title. But mm-hmm. two, I also knew, I don't know, I was just like, that's who he is to me. And I and I had to take a really bold step in, in figuring that out and struggling with that.
0: Mm. I remember when you and I spoke about uh, on the phone a couple, couple of days ago, we were talking a lot about your biological father, and the experience that you had with him. Would you be willing to reshare that last moment that you shared with your biological father and what was what it was like and the type of impact that has had on you after he uh, he left, essentially?
1: Yeah. So my dad was a single father when he raised me. He didn't he knew English, but he was very good at it. And he was somebody that, you know, I was sometimes angry with because I felt like you know, like, why didn't you and my mom make it work for me? Wasn't I worth it? But at the end of the day, um, he was my everything. He was at least all that I had. And he was the only person that was there for me. Um, at least he stayed, which, which is what I thought. Um, and, but then, um, throughout my time in foster care, I didn't realize how sick he was. But my father was very sick. He was fighting liver cancer. And I didn't know until I lived with my uh, new foster parents um, and I get a call from my social worker saying, "Hey, um, your dad has liver cancer, and we we need to have you see him." And despite the whole how hard it was to spend the last minutes with my biological father, because there's this crazy thing about he's passing. We know, but there's you still need to have like a court visit, like like um, some sort of um, what is it, visitation rights and all mm-hmm. this stuff. I was just I was completely losing my mind, but my my, um, parents were there and I ended up seeing my dad and he was in the hospital bed. And I remember taking the last, like whiff of that, like, this is, this is it. Like I have to say goodbye to my, to my father. Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember he looked at my dad and my foster dad and he was like, take, take good care of my Whitney. I think at that point to me, I was like, it's funny. It's not funny, but it's crazy how things work, you know? Um, and things just fall into place, even when it's a really hard and difficult situation. I would have ended up calling them mom and dad anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you think that's that was one of the first times where maybe he was able to forgive to himself for a lot of the things that happened and also just accept and embrace the situation that was at hand?
1: I think he did. I think he felt the same thing that I felt with this couple that took me in, that they are good people, they, and they really are, Oleg. Um, and I... I wish you can meet them <laughs> mm-hmm. they really are and they just come in with this essence of I want to help and I want to love um, and you don't come across people like that every day um, but yeah I think I think at that time my father was kind of like you know forever wrong he's done and forever right that he's tried this is where we are right now
0: very interesting I can definitely relate when you spoke about your family because one of the things that I've experienced is I've had a similar upbringing to to you um, I was not born in this country, and I was born in a small town in Russia. Um, I, I still keep calling it small, even though I think it's over a million people. Um, I <laughs> think the reason why is because when I lived there, I was able to walk from one end of town to another in 20 or so minutes. So for me, like that that picture that I have is a small town, but yet it's over a million people in population. So um, but yeah, for me, it was definitely when I came to the United States and my parents turned out to be who they are, it was one of those moments where everything you had wished for, it it was answered. You wanted supportive yeah. parents. Well, you, you got supportive parents. You wanted people who are going to help you and push you towards achieving your dream. while well, you got the those people and you got the mentors and everyone along the way. Mm-hmm. So I think that there is one of the things that I've been trying to better understand is that the um, connotation that comes with foster care or adoption in my eyes based on the work that we've done and the people that we've had a chance to hear a lot of the stories from it appears that foster care does not have the most positive connotation it's seen as kind of a you know a victimized space but yet within it there's so many tremendous lessons to be learned from because people have gone through so much. And this is, I I guess, even beyond the two fields. I think when we categorize people into certain pockets, like you grew up like this, or this is your income status, or this is who you were born with, we ultimately just diminish their skill set, and we make them feel like not important, or they don't have unique capabilities. Um, One of the things that I've learned during our past two events that we've had <clears throat> the first one was we had a speaker who was in 63 different foster homes that's 63 times that you had to transition and adapt to a new environment which is a critical skill for any person mm-hmm. so that's kind of what one of the things that I've learned through this and the questions that I wanted to post to you was are there any concrete skills that you gained through that experience? that you rely on from day to day?
1: I do. I have to. And I've moved around roughly about 18 times. Um, Not every time was, you know, me in a transition. It was me getting in trouble and Mm -hmm. lining myself up in a few correction facilities. But, yeah, I had to learn the critical skill to bloom where I'm planted so that no matter where I am, no matter where the wind blows me and, and what have it, that no matter where I am, I make sure that I, I make the most out of the situation and thrive. I mean, I remember even when I got into trouble and I was at a correction facility, you know, I would I would still make the best out of the school there. I would still try to be nice to the staff and get along with them and meet the girls and make friends. You mm-hmm. know, I didn't want I I struggled a lot with depression, but I didn't want to just stay depressed. You know I mm-hmm. I have to lo- I have to bloom where I was planted and that became a critical skill when I surrounded myself with other military spouses um, when I met my husband and he's in the military and they had that thing they had that thing of bloom where you're planted, but little did they know I have been gone with the wind <laughs> multiple times. <laughs> so yeah, they didn't realize that, but you know it was, it was interesting being able to sit there. And I hear people talk about, you know, not necessarily complain, but sometimes complain about, oh, this place is so hard, this place is so dreary, this place is so difficult. But I remember times where I was, you know, moved somewhere. I was bounced into a different placement. But when I was there, I literally couldn't go anywhere. I was stuck. I was in a building, you know. Mm -hmm. So it always, like, took me back to this this can't be that bad. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) Mm-hmm. Do you remember some of the first steps that you took when you realized that you were in a depressive state? And Because I I know that, I guess based on my experience, the first action that I take in situations like that, because I believe at the end of the day, we all experience that uh, as humans, is to just recognize that you are having thoughts like that. And the second part of the question is, was that as far as it went or did it lead you to other thoughts and other feelings um like possibly suicide or things like that like how how far did it take you in that journey and how did you able how were you able to overcome it eventually
1: i um whenever i find myself in a in a depressive state like whenever i find myself fighting something um Naturally, I'm a crier, so mm-hmm. <laughs> I can cry impromptu. <laughs> um, I would, I would, I would have like this fall of emotion where I just want to cry, and whenever I feel that way, I always have to ask myself. Um, and it, 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 was funny because it ended up being the same thing. I had to ask my son when he was an infant; he couldn't speak to me mm-hmm. when I became a mother. Am I hungry? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Am I hungry? Am I tired? Um, what's going on? You know, I have to analyze myself. Those are the first few steps. I always have to say to myself, um, even as a young girl, like, okay, Whitney, like what's going on? You know, like pull yourself together. You have to pull yourself together. It was almost as if I was talking to me, the other side that's drowning and I'm like sticking my hand in the water going, okay, come on, let's go. let's uh-huh. go. We have to keep going. What is happening? You know? And I, I think that was, the first, that was the first thing. I know that. If, if there's nothing else, <laughs> if I come out the water screaming, crying, wailing, throwing fists, whatever it makes me, I have to ask myself, Whitney, what is going on? And you need to get out now, uh-huh. you know? So I always say that to myself um, in any stressful situation. You need to get out now. And I would end up always what it would look like in reality is just me staying really strong and pulling myself together and moving on with the next task that needs to be done um depression has always been something I thought I mean I think any any anybody who's been through my situation would would fight that I oh, would yeah. fight the, the self-worth the value that you have um how can you possibly move on with life thinking that you are somebody and you are something worth value when you grew up in a abusive situation where day in and day out you were told that you know you're just nothing but a piece of you know crap you know mm-hmm. um So yeah, it's it's gotten far where I've I've struggled with suicide before. Um, That's something that I have had to fight constantly, constantly um, when I was in foster care and my parents, they, they were there to, to witness all of that. They were there to, I mean, they have to, they hold, they held their breath a lot when they were around me. It was almost like walking around, you know, walking on eggshells because I was so manic. I was up and I was down. I was up and I was down, um, but I think it's also because I was on a whole bunch of medication. I grew up in foster care, given a lot of medication. Mm-hmm. And it's almost conditioned to you that if you don't take the medication, you'll automatically be in trouble, you know? Um, but I, and I had to fight that. I had to fight leaving foster care, not wanting to stay on a lot of psychotropic medication that I didn't believe was right for me. I had to struggle with self identity and the grief of losing my father. And did I betray him and he didn't tell me on his deathbed, I had to carry a lot of that weight on me. Mm
0: -hmm. And so
1: it led up to many times of me completely just wanting to walk out of this life and saying, I can't, I can't, I physically cannot wake up to this the next day.
0: Do you remember some of the thoughts that were going through your mind as you might have been on kind of the last step towards possibly making that decision? Because... I've always just been curious to know that um, I I haven't experienced something like this, but you know, obviously, I've I've been through my own um, set of trials and tribulations as far as the different depressive states and things like that. And coming, it, it seems easy to come from one foreign country to another, but no, it comes with so much more, like that you have to get through. And so I I can definitely relate as to not being able to communicate your thoughts. To other people and having the identity crisis and all that stuff. But I, I've been trying to understand as far as for people who have considered suicide as an option, what are some of the last thoughts that run through your mind before you either make the decision or you get out of it? Because it seems that in that particular case, it's one of those instances where you kind of hit rock bottom and then from there you got to decide like yes or no type of thing.
1: I think I've always been the kind of person that knew what I wanted in life. I've always been that person. If you put me in a class project, I wouldn't, I would be like, okay, <laughs> you, do this, you do this and I'm going to do this. Um, and I so I've always knew what I wanted in life. I always knew what my goals were. And I've always seen like, you know, some part of my future. Um, and I think for me, when it was, during one situation while I was actually in a, um, in a placement and I, you know, I was really struggling. I was really, really struggling. Um, my last thoughts were you are screwed up. Things are completely not what you think it's going to turn out to be. There is no tomorrow. And, um, and you start thinking, and I, I start thinking about all the things that I'm giving up. And it's almost like every time I think of it, I am ripping a piece out of myself um, and throwing it into the abyss. Like, um, you're not going to have kids. You're, you're not going to go to college. You're not going to have a house. You're not going to have a husband. You're not going to have a happy life. I just, like it's so, It was just that moment where was like everything that you would think is going to happen, you might as well get used to it now. Uh-huh. You might as well say goodbye to it now because it's not happening. And I think that's what I went through a lot
0: how do you develop self-worth out of that and out of statements like that? Like, how do you reverse that thinking and methodology as far as where you may think that you're not worth something to saying to yourself, yes, I am worth it. I can continue on with life. You know, I can get through financial struggles and things like that. Like what, what do you do? I mean, how do you, how do you tap into that potential?
1: Um, I end up finding God, and without God, you can't, it's not possible. It's it's not possible. There is no recovering from the sexual abuse years that I have been through, physical abuse, all of these things. I, When you feel like you're not completely worth it, I know that I am worth it, too. To my God, and I know that I'm his daughter, and when you end up waking up every day, Oleg, and you start saying, you know, like, God made me, uh-huh. um, and, and I'm his daughter, you end up feeling a little special. <laughs> you end up feeling like, okay, things are going to be okay. I had to find a lot of faith. I had to. I had to, and especially in the work that we do today, you have to have faith, because if you don't, if you don't have something concrete in a book in your Bible that tells you where's the next step and what is the roadmap because your Bible is your roadmap. Mm -hmm. I cannot imagine my life being any way remotely that it is today. I have to really dig deep within my faith. I have to pray often. I have to scream often. And I have to, I think what was empty about me before was that I didn't have faith. And I felt like I was just only talking to empty air. And when Mm -hmm. you're talking to empty air, you're not going to get anything back. (laughs) Um, but when I ended up praying more, when I ended up finding that my God is real and He is around and He is alive and He hears, me, and like He hears me, I end up realizing like, okay, all right, it's gonna be okay. It's it's gonna be okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Would you say that? Because I know one of the one of the things that I've learned throughout this experience, after speaking with multiple people who have been in similar shoes that you have, is when you get to those particular moments in life it seems that one of the harder things to develop is trust. So how do you not only trust yourself that things are going to work out and that you are doing the right thing, but also how do you start trusting other people? I mean, maybe especially even your parents and knowing that they're there to help you, they're there to mentor you, and what they're saying is actually valuable. How How do you start with that?
1: hard time trusting men um because of what I went through and Mm -hmm. I had a hard time trusting women who are really friendly with men (laughs) um even if it was like their uncle or their dad I don't know it was just I struggled a lot with that and I struggled a lot with people who promise things and they don't come through um because of the multiple times my social worker has told me like things are gonna happen but it doesn't or even just like my own situation when I was struggling to run away from my personal problems. All of my friends and their family was like, we're gonna help you, but they never ended up helping me. Um, I, I have to take it one step at a time. I had to really remind myself that my gut instinct is not gonna lie to me, that I have to trust myself in order to trust other people. I have to trust my own judgment. I have to, I have to be very precise with believing in myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I have to use my own, um, intuitions as my compass. Um, if there, if you're a good person, sometimes I would actually feel that, um, as anybody would, but I think a lot of people, um, if they do struggle with trust, they, they have to second guess and it's not their fault. You know, for me, I, I've, I've came to learn that whether to overcome this, I have to really say to myself, if I am a good person, if I trust you and I give you the best of me and you end up. Not being the person I thought you were, I have to really grow up and really ask myself, is it you or is it the other person? And it is the other person. Mm-hmm. Are you okay with just moving on from that? You know? Mm-hmm. And that's how I had to overcome trust and trusting others.
0: Mm. Sounds you, have like... to,
1: you have to take it slow. You have to mm-hmm. take it slow.
0: Mm-hmm. Sounds like a, a lot of what you've done is just kind of what you worked on yourself first before you allowed other people in. Um, into your circle. And so the thing that I'm curious to know is when you finally begin to trust yourself and your own abilities, is that when ultimately the concept behind the company that you um, have started? Is that when it was born? As far as, you know, you, you understood that, okay, I'm here, I can do this, I believe in myself, and now is the next step forward to build something based off of my own personal experience.
1: Absolutely. Um, I think that when my husband, when well, he was deployed, at found a few things that many people don't know, was that when in the midst of developing his company, my husband was actually deployed. So I had to call him up and say, hey, just want you to know, to file <laughs> for this. When you come back, life is gonna be completely different. Um, but yeah, I, it really had to do with me trusting in myself and believing that yes, I can um, and I will. Um, especially in this work when you're dealing with other people's lives, um, it's a very sensitive situation. It's a very delicate topic. And if you don't believe in yourself, if you don't believe in your overcoming, not your perfection, you don't have to be perfect in helping somebody, okay. right? You don't have to be. Even a doctor goes home one day to their own back pain, he, you know, yes. um, and they don't know how to fix it. So you have to, you have to, have to understand that overcoming your own. Your own imperfection and accepting your own imperfection and being, um, and trusting yourself as your best go to, as your right hand. That's the only way you're going to be able to truly be successful in what you believe in and how you develop something. So, when my husband was deployed, I'm sorry, like one second. So, when my husband was deployed, I actually had to figure out within myself, you know, do I want to sit here or do I want to do something? Mm hmm. So I have to figure out do I, do I wanna do something or do I do I just wanna sit here and just wonder, like this I guess, I have a, as a blackout pilot, there's all these crazy things that go through your head, is he gonna get exploded and <laughs> you're gonna like get bombed, like what's happening? And he'll send you pictures of him with all these rifles and ammunition and you're like, Don't send me those pictures you get down right now <laughs> You know? So and there was a lot of that that came with like being a military spouse. But at the end of the day, I didn't, I, I didn't just want to sit. This was my first deployment. Going through this with him, I didn't just want to sit. I wanted to make sure that for many deployments to come, for many places that I'll be going, that I had something to carry with me that's gonna bring others up with me.
0: Uh uh-huh. um,
1: And that that was the development of this uh, nonprofit.
0: And where's the company now? And what, what is it exactly? What What does it do? So those who are not fully familiar with the background and the mission behind it, how can people learn more about it? How can they get involved?
1: Well, our company's name is called Giliard and Company, so it's my last name, G-I-L-L-I-A-R-D and Company. Um, at first, a lot of my friends were like, that's really hard to spell, but I was like, if you can pronounce, you can pronounce Giliard. <laughs> <laughs> so you're just going to have to recognize the name. Good right but um, we... <laughs> But we are now. Um, I heard that actually from uh, Orange, is a new black actress. One day when she was pronouncing her African name, out. I like that. I like that. That's that's how the world should be, and respecting what you want to call yourself and your company. Um, but for short, G and Co. What we do is we provide in house service for kids in foster care. We want to make sure that there is somewhat of a childhood mm-hmm. given to our children because of what I've been through. I know how hard it is to have the small things that make up the great things in your life. Um, when you're not able to have that, things like a birthday party and Christmas presents. Um, and those are things that we provide for our kids in foster care. Um, but we also provide housing for our young people when they leave foster care, when they are eligible and they're transitioning out of the foster care system and they're eligible to be in the independent living program, they're eligible to come to our Gene housing. And um, one of the things that we do is we actually give them a key to their own apartment. And from there, from there on, um, they are, you know, supervised by my husband and myself and potentially staff in the future, life coaches as well, um, about how to fight, how to manage things financially, how to get a job, and, and live a sustainable, purposeful life. And that is something that we provide, and hope to also prevent youth homelessness um, mm-hmm. in foster care. So that is something that I'm super passionate about because most recently we we helped somebody that was in, that left foster care but was struggling, and the only difference between me and this man was 24 was i ended up having parents that he didn't
0: uh-huh. and because
1: of something so just one thing it had a drastic shift on how somebody else's outcome is from mine so uh-huh. i didn't want that i didn't want that for for many people so um that's how the company is and that's that, that's what we do um want some ways that you can learn about us is actually going to our website org uh-huh. or on Visit us on Facebook, and you can always contact us directly. It's me and my staff that actually um, responds to your messages, so it's very personal.
0: Awesome. That's awesome. Final thought for today's episode, and that is, when the odds are completely against you, what are some core fundamental principles that you always refer to?
1: Know who you are. Know who you are. Don't be afraid to fight (laughs) and get dirty. And and many times, take it slow. Take it slow if you need to. You know, people think about fighting and fighting for your life and making Mm -hmm. sure you're making something out of yourself. They place this ridiculous immediate timeline on themselves. (laughs) And and you can't do that. You can't do that. You're going to fail if you're like... I'm going to be okay. and It's going to be tomorrow and next week and next year. I'm going to be this way. No, you need to know who you are, understand yourself and do whatever it takes to be the best person you can be. And don't give yourself a ridiculous timeline. That's going to end up disappointing you. And you feel like a failure when really you've moved 10 steps forward. but all you're worried about is this calendar date,
0: uh-huh. you know,
1: take it slow. Know who you are and be prepared to get dirty and fight for your life. If you have to, <laughs> that's
0: Awesome. Well, uh, Whitney, thank you so much for being a guest on our show and sharing your wisdom and knowledge with us. Uh, Once again, for those who are interested in learning more about Whitney and the organization, the URL is?
1: www.hiliardandcompany.org
0: Awesome. There you go. There's the power of teamwork right there.
1: (laughs) No worries. But thank you all for having me here. This has been super incredible. Um, And I'm I'm hoping that what we talked about today does end up touching somebody and that they move on with being the best person that they can be and strive to help others.
0: Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't done so already, feel free to subscribe to our monthly newsletter so you can receive all of our latest episodes, featured stand-up and speak-up stories, and ways you can be involved with overcoming odds. Once again, thank you for listening, and we'll look forward to having you next week.